Well, good morning. Welcome to Keystone. I'm glad to see you guys here with us in person or if you are tuning online. My name is Ryan King. I work here with our students and young adults, if you don't know who I am. And I'm very excited for this morning. I have a general disposition of excitement, but I love that we are going to be wrapping up this series called Made New. And I love ending series because I feel like the fight has already been fought and now I just have to like do the last like one-two punch and we're already there, right? So I'm really excited about what we get to talk about. I'm excited about our content. It's going to be a really cool morning this morning. So I want to talk about, I want to open up with somebody that inspires me. Somebody that from childhood, honestly, has, has inspired me, has spoke a lot of wisdom. Um, and I think today that we can uh, learn just like a ton from. And I want to start um, with, with just talking about this person. And his name is SpongeBob SquarePants. <clears throat> That's right. SpongeBob SquarePants, you did not think coming to church today you were going to hear about SpongeBob SquarePants. Well, here we are, and some of you may be thinking, well, this is way, why Ryan is the way he is. Yes, but if you're taking notes this morning, you are not going to want to miss out on this part because SpongeBob SquarePants is one of the masters of the secret sauce because we're talking about the secret sauce this morning. If you don't know anything about SpongeBob SquarePants, he works in a very incredible profession known as Fry Cook. At a restaurant. I don't know if it's called fry cooking, whatever. And he's, he's a fry cook at the restaurant known as the Krusty Krab. And they make the Krabby Patty, which is right here, right? A delicious deluxe burger, right? Again, you want to take notes on this. This is important stuff. You need to know this and we'll be on the test. And what's in the Krabby Patty to make it so famous is that it has the secret sauce, Right, And one of the motifs through the show is the bad guy, whose name is Plankton. Again, it's on the test. He is trying to steal the secret formula to the secret sauce. Because it's the secret sauce that makes this burger so famous and makes so much money for the Krusty Krab. Now, we all know good secret sauces in our lives. And one of them may be for you, the Chick-fil-A sauce. Anybody in here love this, I literally, every time I go to Chick-fil-A, I like fill my, like I ask how many, like how many can I get? And it's usually like seven and I try to get eight because I schmooze them a little bit. And I just put these in my fridge and I put it on everything because it's the secret sauce that makes everything so much better. Now this morning, what I want to talk about, I want to talk about what is, what, what if there was a secret sauce to life? What if there is a secret sauce that if we applied it to our relationships, we applied it to our relationships, it would make them more flavorful, more robust. It would make the experience way better. What if there was a secret sauce to all of it? And I think because we're here and I'm asking the question that there is. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Because in this series, Made New, we're asking, man, what can we do to make not only ourselves new, but our communities new? What can we do to apply what Jesus has to say to our lives? And I believe there's a secret sauce to our best relationships. Relationships with friends and family and maybe even the enemies you might have. And even a secret sauce that if we applied it to our relationship with God, it would make it so much more incredible. Now here's something for you, for you Christians out there, if you call yourself a Christ follower. I, my challenge today is I want you to embrace the concept we're going to talk about. Because if we really embraced it, if we really lived it, it would change not only our lives, but it would change this whole Christianity movement for everyone here. I really believe that. But before we talk about what is the secret sauce, 
we got to do a quick recap. Because again, we're at the end of the series, and I want you guys to kind of know, if you haven't been part of this, what we are talking about. We're walking through the letter of Ephesians. Now, the letter of Ephesians is, is incredible. It's really, really cool. It's written by this guy named Paul. And if you want to dive in for yourself, I encourage you to read this letter for yourself. Um, you can check out Acts 19 and read kind of like the actions and the story that's happening behind and through this letter. It's really incredible. Now there's this guy named Paul. He's an apostle, a preacher. He's spreading the word of Jesus, and he's invested in a small group of friends in Ephesus. This is the church of Ephesus, and he's writing them this letter to encourage them. He's writing this to instruct them and to help them out. And if you guys, here's a quick, uh, if you guys don't know where Ephesus is, it's located in the Middle East, so kind of here's where Israel is. This is modern-day Turkey, and Ephesus is an incredibly critical and strategic location. It's the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire at this time when Paul is writing. So this location is strategic because it's a port city. Commerce and trade go through here, and it's just not products that are traded, but it's ideas as well. So for a fledgling faith, this is the perfect place to launch from. And I actually, I love having visuals for things. I had the incredible, incredible blessing of being able to be in Ephesus. I kind of want you guys just have like an image and a visual of it. Um, here's a picture of me. I'm standing on this little cliff. I'm like, what's up? And this right here is the amphitheater. Um, and it's incredible. Like almost every ancient city has one of these amphitheaters. Um, and, and this is kind of one of the, the main roads, the main parts of the city, and it leads out of it. And then here's another picture, last picture. Um, that's my sweaty forehead, and it's kind of how I feel right now because I'm a little bit sweaty just a little bit. And this right here would have been the main road. And like this direction would have been the port. And again, this is the amphitheater back here. Again, I want to give you a visual for this because Paul is a real person writing to real people in a real city. And we have to grasp that when we wrestle with scripture, when we wrestle with what is being written in the Bible. Now here's the thing. This is what's cool. Again, this is kind of for your notes. This is part of the recap. The, the letter of Ephesians is brilliantly written. Because the first half of it is telling the gospel story, the story of Jesus. And, and it's really fleshing out that story and what it looks like. And then the second half is really cool because it's where the gospel story intersects with our story and how that should transform our lives. And honestly, I'm super excited for what we're going to read today. So if you have like a Bible or your phone, you can open up. We're going to be in Ephesians 5 and 6 today. And I love what we get to read about because there's, some, there's a little bit of drama around it. There's a little bit of drum drum in this part of the, 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 like the Bible. Because I think some of us, if, if you're in here, may have had some toxic encounters with what we're about to read today. And I want to prepare you for that. Honestly, what we're about to read today is going to be like, that. you might have like a, like God, like what the heck? Like what the heck is going on here? And those are the moments I love to enter into because I think God and the writers of the Bible have so much to tell us. So I want you to like gear up. I always tell my students like, like buckle in the seatbelt because we are going for a ride. It's going to be really great. I'm excited for it. And again, this is just my last note. I, I want you to know one thing that I try to tell students and people the gospel story, I think, is simple. The gospel story is, is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. But the Bible, the Bible is complex. 
right? The gospel story is simple, but the Bible is complex. And honestly, I don't want it any other way because we're complex. You're complex. Our, our relationships are complex. And I want, I want something that I can wrestle with, that I can learn from. If it was easy, I don't think it would be worthwhile. So the more we wrestle with the text, the more we learn and the more we are transformed. So here we go. Are you guys ready? We're kind of basically having like a Bible study today that's like injected with Red Bull and infused with joy because you're doing it with me. It's going to be good. So if you never got a ch- chance to do a Bible study with me, this is what it's like. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's good. So if you're falling asleep, I need you to wake up because I'm going to give you everything you need to know right now. And then you can go back to sleep. But I need you to grasp this next part because this is all, this is the secret sauce, right? It's right what Paul writes at the beginning of what we're talking about. It's Ephesians 5.21. It's says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, if you have a short attention span, that is it. The secret sauce has been cracked open. You know what it is. You've had a taste. This is it right here. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now first I want to talk about reverence for Christ because Reverence or revering isn't necessarily a term that we use today. And what does it mean to to have reverence for something? And I was thinking about this and I thought about the trip I took with my girlfriend to Pictured Rocks this summer. And it was an incredible, it was an incredible experience to see just these cliff faces. If you haven't gone, I highly encourage it, Um, especially if you're a Michigander. This is my first time going. And there's these colors and these cliffs and the waves have formed them in all these incredible ways. And I had this, this reverence for nature and reverence for what was. It was almost this this deep awe and this deep respect and this deep admiration. So Paul is writing, have deep respect and reverence for Christ. It's a reminder to Christians that that Christ is really what what it's all about. The hokey pokey is not. It is Christ, right? Because Paul is hinging, Paul is hinging the behavior of Christians upon their relationship with Christ. Now, if you're a Christian in here, this message really needs to hit home for you because this is, this is like direct command. This is directly to us. And if you're not a Christian, this isn't your faith thing, but you're listening. I'm so glad that you are here with us or you're listening online. And I think today, maybe you can get a picture of what Jesus is about. And maybe you can get like an idea. But again, these might be some cool concepts. But again, this is, this is for Christians and this hopefully will hit home for you. Because Paul is saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's saying, hey, do you remember, do you remember Christians? Do you remember that moment where you committed your life to Christ? Do you remember when you experienced brokenness and hurt and pain? And and then you experienced Christ and something changed in you. Whether that was a moment you had years ago, whether it's a moment you continue to have as you experience Jesus, like Christians focus in on this part. Focus in on Christ. And, And Paul says Christ so specifically here because he's saying, hey, it's not just Jesus. It's this mysterious divine entity that continuously is changing us. And this, again, is what everything Paul's about to say today is hinged upon. Out of reverence for Christ, we should submit to one another. And I love this because Paul's just paraphrasing my favorite verse of all time, which is John 13, 34, which goes like this. I don't know. Yeah, here it is. Love one another 
This is Jesus speaking. This is his, like his last greatest command. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. I, I like bring this up every time I talk because I believe that if we could get this right, this movement would be made new. We would be made new. And I know some of you guys are like, oh, here's Ryan talking about sacrificial love again. Of course I'm going to. That's what Christianity is all about. So Paul starts us off by just saying, submit to one another. There it is, the secret sauce, out of reverence for Christ. But we've got to get the reverence for Christ part down first. Because out of that, that's where we're going to be made new and we're going to be transformed. That's the defining ethic. Now we're about to unveil the text. We're about to really crack it open. It's going to be good. And again, I just want to, I just want to remind you of the context we're reading in. Because we're all 21st century Americans, right? We're all 21st century modern Americans. This is our context we live in. But Paul is writing to people living in an ancient world Roman context. And those two things are different. So there's going to be things that we're going to wrestle through together. And again, like I said, I am super stoked for it. But just remember, we can't export our own cultural baggage onto what's being written. Instead, we have to understand what Paul is trying to say to us today. So with that said, we're going to dive in, and I'm super excited. Here we go. This is Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, and you might be experiencing red flags and warning lights, and you're like, hold up, wait a minute, something ain't right here, right? And, and here's the reason why. I think through the ages, pastors and Christians have really abused this passage. I think we've done a, a horrible job with it. And if you've been burned by that, I am so sorry. Because here's the thing. There's two things that we need to understand together to understand this passage here. The first one, and this is a sad reality of the Roman context, that this statement is not radical for that original audience. It's not unexpected. The unfortunate reality is women at that time didn't have access to education. They probably weren't working for money for themselves, right? They were basically two steps above slaves. Again, not good, but that's the reality they're experiencing. That is their culture. There's no status and no power for women here. So the original audience would have thought, like, of course, this is, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. This makes sense. Like, this is just the way that it is. What other option does she have? And again, that's an unfortunate footnote of history that I think we're progressing from. But if we just take this statement as it is, we're going to miss out on so much because there is a second thing that we have to do that, I'll be honest, I think we're pretty bad at, and that's continuing to read on, to understand the context. Because this statement by itself, can you, sorry, go back. This statement right here is an incomplete thought. Because what Paul is really doing. If you want to know what Paul is really doing, you have to keep reading on because he's about to, he's just about to like drop some bombs on it, right? He's about, he's about to just stop the show because what he has to say to the men is what is revolutionary for the time and should be revolutionary for our time as well. So men, I'm sorry today, it's going to be, it's going to be intense. It's going to be a ride, right? But here's the thing, what Paul has to say, I mean, it's, it's like Times New Roman size 16 bold font, right? He takes them, the prom doesn't even pay. It gets good. It gets real good. I'm excited for it. So this is what he says. This is what he says as he continues on. Can you throw that up for me? 
Um, oh, sorry, one more over. I'm, I apologize for that. that uh, I'm way off. You got to keep going. I am so bad at keeping with my own mind and notes. Here we go. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So this is, again, if you read on, this is what it says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Which raises a fascinating question. What did Christ do for the church? He died for the church. He submitted himself to death for the church. Death upon a cross for the church. He suffered humiliation for the church. He gave everything for the church. And Paul is saying that same idea applies to husbands right where you're at. He's saying, hey, you guys got to raise the bar. Because his first male readers would have been stunned by this. Because men during the time, again, this is a patriarchal society where men do what they want. They are in power. They don't give. They take. So they would have been asking some questions. They're like, wait, hold up. This sounds like a whole lot of something different, right? Because God's design for marriage, God's design for marriage is different than anything they would have believed. Now, I'm actually going to read, I don't know if I have, do I have more slides of all of this? I'm going to read it right from my Bible. I like just reading from my Bible. This is ESV. I'm going to read this whole thing through, right? And I'm just going to read it out loud, and I just want you to listen to it, because again, Paul is just going to lay into them. This is Ephesians 5, 25, and we're just going all the way through 33, so hang with me. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her, that he, Christ, may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, so that he may present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So he's like, hey, hey, like Christ did this incredible thing for all of us, for all of Christians. And husbands, you need to follow this. In the same way, verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, as themselves. They should love their wives as themselves. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of the body. And then he goes on, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. It is a profound mystery, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you, and he reminds them again, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects the husband. That's how it goes. He like lays into him. It's like brilliant. It's incredible. And just what Paul is trying to say here is the secret sauce of a good marriage, the secret sauce of a good relationship with your significant other is mutual submission. Because he commands the, the wives, submit to your husband. He commands the husbands, submit to your wife, respect your wife, love your wife. This is how it's supposed to be. There's a balance of mutual submission. Again, Paul is applying that secret sauce back in verse 21, where he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And again, he's going to apply this to all things. He's going to apply it to parenting. Right? I'm not a parent, but I have parents. So at least, like, I'm hoping that most of you guys have parents because you're here in some context or a parent or a guardian, right? So what Paul's about to say to parents and children will apply to all of us because he says this. Children, which is all y'all because y'all children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. 
And I love this statement because if you take a quick step back, you recognize that Paul simply addresses children. Like, like there's children in here right now. There's children in this building. And he says, hey, I'm addressing children because they, have, they are part of the church. They have dignity in the church. They, they are able to, to learn and understand just like adults, and they have so much to give us. He addresses them, and there's dignity in that, and I love that. Kids are, are part of this whole Jesus movement. I just think that's really, really cool. And, and I want to talk quickly about what, he's, what does he mean, obey your parents in the Lord. What does it mean to obey your parents in the Lord? He's just hyperlinking back up to verse 21. He's just, say, he's just saying, hey, like, submit to one each other out of reverence for Christ. Kids, you can handle that just like parents can handle that. He's giving them that dignity, and I love it. And again, we're just, we're just rolling through this passage. So what, what Paul says next is kind of confusing, but I think it's really cool because it's Paul. He says this, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and you might enjoy long life on earth. Now, this is kind of like those weird things that you might just like slide past when you're reading. But I think this is cool because Paul is steeped in the Jewish religion. Paul, Paul knows so much. He's so wise. And he's hyperlinking his audience back to an Old Testament story where the Israelite people were at Mount Sinai and Moses was going to be bringing down the Ten Commandments. And more commandments to instruct them, hey, this is what we have to do as we enter, as we go towards the promised land. So this is what I think he's doing to children. He's saying, hey, kids, hey, 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 kids, if you can obey your father and mother, if you can respect them, then then it's not only going to go well for you, but it's going to go well for your community. Right? It's going to go well for, for everybody around you. And, and I think, I mean, I can easily like, relate to this. When I was being a hooligan as a child, like I'm never a hooligan anymore. When I was being a hooligan, doing like all my hooligan stuff, right, it caused discord in the family. Right? Everybody felt that tension. My community felt that tension. But when I honored and respected my parents, you know, there was some level of harmony within our household. Right? It, it, it's a simple statement, but I think it's incredible still to this day. And then, and then, I love what's going to happen next. Because what Paul is about to do next is, again, address the men of the time. And he's going to check them at the door. He's going to, he's going to take out the trash. He doesn't even recycle. Because what he has to say to, to fathers of that day, and I think parents of that, this day, is really incredible. He says this in verse 2. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. And I was thinking about this, because some translations are right, say, like, do not provoke your children to anger. And I think I know exactly what Paul is talking about. He's talking about dad jokes that have existed since the beginning of time, which I have brought you the most classic of dad jokes. So the first one, can you say the first one? No? This is just me. I'm hungry. Dad. He says, hi, hungry. I'm dad. This is a classic, right? Come on, no laughs. This is a good one. Your kid goes, oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I'm hungry. I'm dead. I'm oh, sorry, right? You're not going to laugh at any of these, I guess, but I think they're great. So this is just for me. Here's this next one. Me. Hey, Dad, did you get a haircut? Dad, I got them all cut. <laughs> there we go. This is good stuff. This is good content. All right, and this is an original that I'm going to use when I'm a dad. This is my favorite joke. that I made this up. I didn't find it from the internet. What do you call a cheese with no friends? You call it provolonely. 
That's an original. All right, you're allowed to use that. Just make sure, like, you let me know. Like, just trademark that. Like, you know, just hashtag Ryan came up with the joke or whatever. Right, but, but what I think actually is happening here, so what I think Paul is saying, maybe he's saying dad jokes. I think these have lasted forever, and they, they exasperate all of us, right? I think that we all, like, experience exasperated dad jokes. But I think, again, what's incredible is I think actually he's pointing fathers to something deeper. I think he's saying, fathers, parents, be consistent. Be consistent. Don't be hypocritical, right? What you instruct your kids to do, you should uphold that as well. What you want your kids to do, you should be following the same rules. Don't exasperate them with kind of this double-minded parenting, but be consistent. Pay attention to the power of your words and your actions because they're watching and they're listening. And again, Paul ties it back to Christ. Can, can you throw that verse up for me again? I'm sorry, I'm throwing you all through the place. Uh, submit to one another reverence for Christ. There it is. Because, because Paul's always bringing it back. He's saying everybody, no matter what your relationship, parent, kid, whether you're, you're married, whatever it is, submit to one another. All people, kids, parents, all people, every relationship, submit to one each other. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. Because Christians, your whole faith is hinged upon this one thing. I love it. I think the secret sauce to, to good families is mutual submission. And I want to take a quick moment to kind of reflect. I want to take a quick moment to kind of just recap. Where are we at? Where are we at? So again, if you've fallen asleep, I like to provide moments to be like, hey, pull it in, pull it in, because we got some cool stuff. If you are married, or if you have a significant other, or if you want to have a significant other, what this looks like is putting the needs of that person above your own. Why? To showcase not only your love for them, but your love for God. And you might be thinking, yeah, but you don't know my significant other. No, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, this is a message for all Christians today. Or, or if you have parents, no matter how old you are, if you have parents, obey and listen. Because then you're going to showcase your love not only for them, but for God, and you might be thinking, but Ryan, you do not know my parents. You do not know how exact, you don't even know the dad jokes that I got to experience. I go, no, 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 no. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then lastly, if you are a parent, you have kids under you, be consistent, be invested. Why? Because you're going to showcase your love for them and your love for God. And you may be saying, yeah, but you don't know my kid, he pooped in the fish tank. I don't even know how he did it. He did it. You don't even know. No, no, no. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And, and you might be experiencing attention right now for yourself or people you know. Because, because here's the thing. I think this, this applies to all of us in, in normal context. But I, I really do believe that there's some of us out here that, that this hits a little bit differently. Because those relationships are unhealthy. And the thing about mutual submission is the mutual part is just as important as the submission part. There has to be an understanding of the inherent value between you and that other person. And, and again, this is a quick aside, but if you're in a relationship, no matter what it is, that is toxic and unhealthy and dangerous, there's wisdom in that. Again, Christianity is not like a top 10 tricks to fix your life, right? That's not what Christianity is about. And instead, it's, it's, it's applying wisdom to our lives and seeing it change us. So if you're in one of those toxic relationships, I encourage you to seek counseling. We would love to help you out. You can, you, you can like reach out to us. We would love to be part of what you're experiencing and to help you find restoration and to be made new. 
Now, I, I'm going to wrap this up. I know I might be going long. I don't know. I lost track of time because I'm having so much fun. But here's the thing. Paul has one last relationship he wants to redefine for his audience. And this is going to be, again, one of those relationships where you're like, this is weird. I do not know why this is in the Bible. This is confusing. I've always been confused about this. Well, we're going to address it because you're in the best Bible study of all time this morning. So here we go. Ephesians 6, 5. Slaves. Slaves. Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Hold up. Slaves? Right, some of you guys might be thinking, all right, this is where the Bible gets weird. This is where I either got to cross out that section or throw my Bible out because I don't like the slaves. But again, we got to take some time to dig underneath the surface and see what is really going on here. So let's talk about quickly. This is kind of quick. If you have notes, you're going to need to write fast. In the Roman context, when Paul's writing this letter, there are 30 to 50 percent, 30 to 50 percent of the population of, Ro- like, of the Roman world are slaves. That's what most scholars believe. 30 to 50 percent. Let that sink in. That's one out of every two people or one out of every three people. That's insane. And again, we have to think about slavery maybe a little bit differently. It's, it's still horrible, but slavery was prisoners of war during the time. Slavery was bond servants, which basically you got yourself in so much debt that you had to sell, like sell yourself and your household and your family to repay that debt. Again, this is the society they live in. So when Paul addresses slaves, he's addressing something a little bit different than what we necessarily think of. But it doesn't solve the question you might be asking, because you might be asking, wait, Shouldn't Paul be for abolition and freedom of slaves? Shouldn't that be what he's writing about? And if Paul and and the Bible represent God, isn't that what God is supposed to be about? Again, we can't export our cultural understanding onto them. Because Paul, what, what does he do? He's the leader of a small, persecuted religious movement. What are they supposed to do in this moment? What Paul does, what Paul does, it's so cool. He's going to upend the whole system on itself. Because the, the, the whole part, it goes like this. So can you throw that up for me? Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Can you go to that next one for me? Serve them wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slaves or free. I love this because Paul, Paul is again, he's just, he's incredible in the way he writes because this is what he's doing. He's saying, hey, slaves, remember who your true master is. If you are a Christian, it is Christ Jesus. Four times he reminds them you serve Jesus, a king who sacrificed for you, who, who makes you new, a king who gives you dignity. He says, you are worth my death. You are worth this. You belong to Jesus. You have freedom in Christ. These slaves are made new by this good news because because even though their physical circumstances may not change, even though their physical circumstances may not change, they're able to change their perspective and that's going to change everything for them. And Paul's saying, hey, work with hard work, right? Put, be, be, have dignity when you work because that is going to give you a fulfilling life even in the situation that you're at. And then Paul addresses the matter to the masters. And again, these masters are going to be the heads of the household. They're going to be men. And he's going to just take them to town again. 
because he, he, he just, he throws it to them. And he says this to the masters. And so that, maybe I have it, I don't have that. I can read it right here. All right, here we go. He says this to the masters. It's a short verse. Masters, do the same to them. Do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality in him. He's, he literally just, he says, Christians, the ground is equal. Slavery, like this in your mind does not exist because you are at the same level. You are both saved by the same God. He equalizes them in one single statement. And I think that is incredible because it's a reminder to the master that him and the slave had the same master. Right? And you might be going, this, this doesn't apply to me. We don't have slavery today. But again, Paul is flipping a system on itself. He's radically progressive. And we need to think about this, not necessarily when we think about slavery, but when we think of the people that are no good. When we think of the people that are beneath us. The people that we wouldn't even give the time of day. Because famously, Paul, Paul looks at the distinctions. He says, there's, in, in all of his letters, this is how he talks. He says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female. But we are one in Christ Jesus. We are one in Christ Jesus. Christians, we are one in Christ Jesus. And again, it, it hinges way back to what we were talking about at the top of the chapter. Submit to one each other out of reverence for Christ. You, you right where you're at, whether you're listening online or you're in here, you have inherent dignity. You have inherent dignity that Christ has given you. And you have value and you have purpose. And, and for this faith system to be made new, we have to embrace that. We have to live that. We have to let it seep into our lives that our relationship with Christ is from what everything in our life flows. That we set aside gender, race, skin color, age, religious connotation, all these backgrounds, right, that are buzzing, all of these political things that are buzzing, we set them aside to see the inherent dignity of ourselves and other people. Are you willing to see other people as made new? Are you, are you willing to see them the way that Christ sees them? Because this, this, fist, this system of faith, that if we're going to really live in it, it flips everything upside down and goes, you know, they are worthy of my love, of my sacrificial love, that I would submit to them. Our world needs a whole lot more of that. That we change our thinking from what can I get from this, what can, what can this person do for me, to what can I do for them, no matter what the circumstances, in person or online, you guys know what's going on in the world, but we need to apply it to our world. We're going to finish up, we're going to do some, some questions here, but I have, uh, I have one question that I want to, well, I have more questions, but I have one question then, whatever. All right, it goes like this. Well, first, everything, everything in our life is run through the prism of the gospel story. There's one thing I really, I mean, there's a lot of one things I want you to take, but this is one of them. Everything in our life is run through the prism of the gospel story. Our lens to see the world is Jesus. And if that's not our lens, we need to reevaluate our relationship with Jesus and what he's done for us. And then this looks like this question. What does it mean for your life to tell the story of the gospel? What does, your li- what does it mean for your life to tell the story of the gospel? Because that's how we're going to know that we are made new. All right, we got some questions. We're going to wrap up and then we'll pray and you can go home and have your Labor Day and eat some ribs. It'll be great. Here we go. Paul writes, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does it mean? And again, you can find these online. What does it mean to have reverence for Christ? What does it mean for you? What does it, what might daily reverence for Christ look like? And then I couldn't do this question just in one bit. I just made it like four questions in one. Define submit within this context. And how is submitting to other people tied to this reverence 
for Christ. Again, this is the test. You guys already know the answer. We already talked about all that. It's great. All right, next question. How would you explain the gospel story? How would you tell the gospel story? And what does it mean for your life to tell that story? Next one. And what are the hardest relationships for you to submit and so sacrifice, show sacrificial love in? What makes it so difficult to show submission and humility in those relationships? And you might have somebody or some people that come to mind. Are you willing to submit? All right, if you're willing, Nabal, let's stand and we'll pray all together. Thank you guys so much for, for being here and listening. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the friends that are here in person. Thank you for the friends that are tuning in and maybe the people listening after the fact. God, I just pray for Keystone. I pray for this church. God, I pray that we can be just saturated in our relationship with you. That if we say we follow this thing, that we can really understand you and that our lives can start to reflect it, that, that we just pour out sacrificial love and humility. That, that, that when we, we want to sp- like speak back, when we want to talk back, when we want to do those things we know we shouldn't, that we recognize, man, there's inherent dignity in those people on the other side of the conversation, on the other side of the screen. God, I just, I'm so, I think, I think we can do it. I think as a church, as Keystone, we can do it, that we can grasp onto the concept of mutual submission. And God, I pray for everybody in here that if, if they wrestle through this this weekend, that it starts to transform them and their relationships, how they interact with their significant others, how they interact with their parents, with their children, with their friends. I think it can transform everything. But it all hinges on Jesus. God, thank you for Jesus that transforms us to make these things possible, that gives us purpose. We pray these things in your name. And everybody said... Amen. You guys have a fantastic weekend. Thank you for being here. Please wear your mask on your way out. If you can, kind of take some time to let people filter out. Please wear your mask on the way out. I appreciate you guys. Have a great weekend.
Took the cash and burnt it. Didn't want a reputation of chasing what's on the surface line. The things that I find would never satisfy me in the long time. And all the dreams I dreamt, they will never come alive. I am burning it down. I am burning it down. I am burning it down. Oh. The wealth that I need comes from within me. If I look a little closer, then I see it in me shining brightly. These gifts are ignited. Give it to me proudly from Almighty God. Thank you for your mercy. Oh, you give it to me freely. Oh, and even though I don't deserve you, you choose to pursue me. Hey, I said thank you for your mercy. You give it to me freely. Oh, and even.